The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. Hope everyone's enjoying the holidays and getting ready to celebrate a brand new year. And we've got one last joke from Duff McKagan for 2022. So let's do it. Time for the patented, anticipated Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling. Uh, listen, I don't know if I ever told you about my grandma. Yeah, she was 80% Irish. Yeah, her name was Iris. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a stinker. <laughs> actually, that's not a stinker. That's actually pretty funny. The last joke of the week for 2022 from Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan. Can't wait to hear what he sends in to kick off the new year. But thank you, Duff, for always delivering uh, the jokes, some funnier than others. I like this one today, though, Iris. That's good. Uh, today on the show, I've got author and collector Kevin Williams. He wrote a book called Wrestling Merchandise of the 90s, and I'm sure you can guess what that's about just from the title. It's actually a photo book that features pictures and descriptions of all kinds of cool wrestling merch from that time period. Popular items, rare stuff, and some bizarre uh, things as well. We're going to talk about some of the biggest selling items from the likes of Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and me. Uh, Kevin talks about some of the rarest and most valuable merch from action figures to wrestling cards to foam fingers. He explains why some toy companies' merch is more valuable than others and the pieces that are most sought after by collectors. We also talk about how action figures have changed over the years and some of Kevin's favorite pieces in his personal collection. I also got stories about my first ever action figure and t-shirt and a couple of the Jericho-branded items that I've kept over the years. But before we talk wrestling merch with Kevin Williams, if your Christmas cash is burning a hole in your pocket, book yourself a cabin on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Ranger at Sea, the Four Leaf Clover. We set sail February 2nd, and we got so much talent on the ship. The lineup is crazy. I think uh, pretty much the entire <laughs> AW roster has come with us, three quarters of it at least. The Acclaimed, The Gun Club, Jade Cargill, Willow Nightingale, the entire Jericho Appreciation Society, Swerve Strickland, Wardlow, the Lucha Brothers, uh, Mark Henry, Danhausen, Jack Perry, Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus. The list is endless, and the cruise will be the only place you can see the tag team of Jerichohausen versus the Guns. That's right, Jericho and Danhausen together for one night only. We're also having the inaugural Jericho Cruise Oceanic Championship. 
uh, wait till you guys see the championship belt. You're going to have a new champion on board. Uh, the cruise, you'll see it live and in person. we got comedy, music, live podcasts, paranormal, Fozzie playing three shows, quarantine, quiet riot, Raven, Briss, the world's only female kiss cover band, live podcasts, like I said, three Talk is Jericho episodes. Also going to our own private island for the first time ever, Great Stirrup K from Miami. So book a cabin now at ChrisJerichoCruise.com and have the vacation of a lifetime. All right, let's see what your wrestling merch from the 90s might be worth right here, right now with Kevin Williams on Talk is Jericho. All right, so I'm here with uh, with Kevin Williams, who has authored a very cool book. It's called Wrestling Merchandise of the 90s. This is uh, very cool because it encapsulates kind of two phases of my career. The first half of the 90s when I had no merch, and then the second half of the 90s when I started getting some action figures and video games and all that other stuff. Uh, so we can talk about that. But, but first and foremost, how did you get interested in in, in uh, writing this book, Kev? Hi, thanks, Chris, for having me on, on the show. Obviously, I think it's just because there's nothing much out there of that thing. You know, there's, everyone loves the wrestling figures, old school wrestling, but no one celebrates the merchandise how it should be celebrated. So with lockdown going on, penned it all together, got a few images, and that's how the book came about. Were you a collector of wrestling merch? Yes, uh, mainly wrestling figures, I will say that. But obviously, as you complete wrestling figure sets and what have you, you go on to T-shirts, wrestling cards, other wacky merchandise. So managed to get a little bit over the years, safe to say. Kind of go back into the original deluge of wrestling merch, talking about the 80s. You know, when I started watching wrestling and I was collecting some of the, the, the action figures and that sort of thing, kind of go through a quick history of action figures that led up to the 90s because they did start basically in the mid 80s. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. With LJN, that's with the WWF. That was like the major figure company. And WWF, as you know, is massive then. It's AWA, American Wrestling Association. They had a little line as well. So 80s and toys, wrestling, all goes hand in hand. Then onto the 90s, Hasbro wrestling figures. Then WCW copied them. Let's, let's talk a little about the LGN figures first. I remember they were kind of like bendy, hard plastic with kind of features that mildly resembled the guys. Yeah. You know, it's come a long way. But but yeah, that's kind of what the, what the scene was at that point, right? Exactly that. Um, it, they were surprised at how big it got. Obviously, it was more of an American thing than a European thing because WWF hadn't branched out to Europe like it, what it would do in the 90s. So very important. The first, I'd class it as the first major wrestling figure line. And there's some huge collectors in the world for that stuff today. What are the, what are some of the biggest uh, collector ones that are worth the most money from that era? You have the last series, a black card series, and it's by Grand Toys, 1989. There's an Ultimate Warrior. I think there's a Warlord and other little bits, Haku. So anything like that. Late 80s stuff when... LGM were pretty much going bump, so they wanted to continue the line. And next minute, I think it was a Canadian company carried it on, and they're the ones they, they fetch into the thousands these days. Wow. Is that because they just didn't make a whole lot of them? Exactly that. Hard to find. People backtrack. People want to pick them up. I, I don't have an awful lot, 
of the LGA, and I will say that because it didn't really hit the UK. I've picked up a little bit. It's like 80 nostalgia, isn't it? So Right, exactly. Well, because another thing, too, that, that at the time that I did buy a few of was the T-shirts. I remember they sold them at the venue, but the, the, they weren't very good. Like, I always loved Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, but I remember being at the merch table at the Winnipeg Arena, and the Steamboat shirt sucked. <laughs> and I'm looking right now at the Hogan shirt, which also really kind of sucks. Yeah. And I bought a Macho Man shirt because it was the coolest one, but even that one wasn't all that great. It was kind of like yeah. violet, purple. Yeah. So it was very primitive even for the, for that aspect for the shirts as well. Yeah, basically just put any name on it, get it on the shelf and make money. <laughs> that, that's how it rolls, isn't it? So it's similar to band T-shirts as well, isn't it? It's like any band will have a good T-shirt, but it's like they have shows like WrestleMania. You get WrestleMania T-shirts, SummerSlam. You get SummerSlam T-shirts and you've got your wrestlers, Hogan, Hoser, he's always going to have T-shirts, isn't he? But it, it's the lesser ones like Jake the Snake or, as you say, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. That's what gets the interest because fans back in the day, they all went for Hogan, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior. They went for the big guys. Well, I'm sure Hogan was probably selling tons of merch at that time frame, even probably into the 90s when where this book starts of yours because he was massive. People forget like just how massive Hogan was even up all the way to, you know, 98 with NWO and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, massive, unbelievable. I mean, like, even with the NWO stuff, again, when he went from the yellow and red to the black and white. Right. Rebranded himself. <laughs> what a clever man. So let's talk a little bit about, about the Hulk merch that, that you started finding. I'm sure there was a lot more than just shirts and action figures. What else were we dealing with when it came to the Hulkster? Money boxes, uh, bars of soap. Soap. <laughs> Obviously, T-shirts, you've got everything. Pajamas, cups. Bars of soap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all sorts. You, you can basically put Hulk Hogan's image on anything, and it will go, people picked it up, didn't they? That's what they wanted. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it has to do, too, with like when, when wrestling is hot, then a bunch of different licensees will get the rights to, to make the merch. Because I know even for me, the two, I mean, there's a lot of different Chris Jericho stuff, especially from the early 2000s when WWE was massive. And there's like a bowling ball, Chris Jericho bowling ball, wow. uh, the Chris Jericho eyeglasses <laughs> that are like on the side of the glasses that said like Y2J on it, some some glass company. So you have, you know, it's it's much like Kiss with all the merchandise they have. It's not like Kiss is going to the plant and putting out all these things. These are individual companies that are buying the rights to put whatever images they want on their soccer balls or vitamins or whatever it might be yeah and different countries too so usa could have one product uk could have a different product and somewhere along the lines it it kind of all matches up doesn't it so there was that's interesting so there was some merch that was made in the uk that was different from the states then yeah definitely We, we had copyright the company in the uk they printed a lot of the like school stationary sets then even with the wrestling figures it was sent to hasbro in Gwent, which was a company in Wales, my country, and they're distributed differently. So it, it was a massive scale. And to think the merchandise that WWF, WCW produced, weird, well, me and you are talking USA, Europe, think of Japan, think of India, Australia. So 90s wise, especially in the early 90s, I think probably from about 92 to basically 95, WWE wasn't as popular in the States, but I think it was, it was quite popular still in the uk is that correct or yeah it was still big in the uk they 
Well, I think in 91, they came over for like one or two tours. 92, obviously they had SummerSlam 92, and they did have, I think, several tours then. But 93, 94, 95, we couldn't get rid of them. It was like, oh, another UK tour. <laughs> the, the tour random cities like Newcastle and Bournemouth, and they got to everything, really. 95 was an interesting one because um, Spain was dying off. It, the interest in Europe was, was dying off. It carried on even more so in the UK. <laughs> the interest was dying off in the UK? No, in Europe, but in the UK, it kept getting bigger. <laughs> kept getting bigger. Wow, and that's interesting because I know like 92, you mentioned SummerSlam, and of course that was with Davy Boy Smith, who was a homegrown English-British star. Did that help as far as keeping the popularity high over, yeah, massive. over there? Yeah. At the time, football, soccer was going through a bit of a quiet patch. And people needed the fix and wrestling was that. 1992, wrestling in this country was everything. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. So let's talk about, as, as I'm kind of going through your book and going from, you know, merch to merch, something that's very prevalent now is the championship belt replicas. Yeah. And they're very real. I mean, I get them made for my cruise every year for the fan experience and then they are as real as it gets which is why people want to buy it every year and and have this amazing beautiful belt when did those start and they were kind of a lot more different than they are today the modern ones that started in the 2000s getting the leather strap and the the plate right but the plastic foam belts that everyone collected back in the day was but they say it's 1989 but it's, it's more so 1990 that we got to see them and they were very hard to find in the UK, and they were a catalog mail away exclusive, if you like. They kind of they were more made of like foam, right? Foam. That's it. They were foam belts. Yeah, uh, plastic toys, cheap as you like. Everyone wanted a wrestling belt. And you still see those too. They still sell them. But like I said, if you want to, probably for more for people that have a little bit more money to spend, or maybe adult collectors have the hard belts that you literally could use to hit somebody, you know, in the side of the head. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think one time I even borrowed some fans belt when I forgot my belt. Is that what I did? Something along those lines where you're like, there's a kid in the front row with, with a title belt that looks, that's the intercontinental championship. Ask if we could borrow it and tell them not to say anything. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> Do you remember the angle with Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels where one of the belts was, a counterfeit belt. I think it's around ninety three, ninety four. Well, isn't that when they had? Isn't that when they did the the double ladder match for both titles or oh, something along those lines? It's an iconic wrestling match that one, isn't it? So, yeah, as you say, if you're pinching the stuff off the fans to use, then it must be pretty good, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and another thing that I didn't really realize is the early nineties WCW action figures, because if WWE wasn't popular at that point in time. You know, WCW was surely even less popular. That's true. But, well, um, surprisingly, WCW was shown on terrestrial TV in the UK. Oh, okay. More people had more eyes on it. And 
yeah, WCW noticed that Hasbro wrestling figures were popular, so they're very similar. They've copied the design, and next minute you get WCW wrestling figures. But I always love the name of this toy company too, Galoob. <laughs> Sounds awful, doesn't it? <laughs> Must be some kind of a German company, maybe, or, or Swiss, or something like that. You, you know what? I think they're a US-based company. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Never uh, was a big fan of the Galoob action figures. So who who becomes kind of the new merchandising king when 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 Hogan kind of starts fading away? Like what other names were, were as big as he was in the nineties? Bret Hart was well ninety two, ninety three. He, he was carrying the weight. Shawn Michaels was slowly picking up, and it was steady. It was never to the size of what Hulk Hogan was. But obviously, you go to nineteen ninety seven. And you got two guys, you can name them, Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Of course, right. And then we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Because once again, still, I think in the, in the early to mid-90s, they're still kind of inventing like wrestling buddies, which were those stuffed dolls, so to speak. Teddy bears. <laughs> yeah. Teddy bears. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, ex- explain the ugly Hulk Hogan. Bizarrely, I found that one on eBay. It's, it's ever quite common to pick up. It was, it's like a magazine piece. and. It's not pretty to look at. No, it's a very terrifying face, isn't it? Yeah, it's a Hulk Hogan kind of stuffed animal figure with his face kind of painted on where it looks like he's like a serial killer or something. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I'll leave that one to you to say, Chris. <laughs> the ugly Hulk Hogan. But then once again, you got like rulers and pencils and geography sets and pencil cases. So they're really marketing to kids at this point in time still. Damn right. 100%. And that's, well, us kids today have stuck with that. And we're now the collectors. <laughs> well, even to like the lunch boxes. I remember there was a lot of, of WWF lunch boxes. And I'm like, I don't think my kids ever had a lunch box in their life. Maybe early, early on they might have had one lunch box. But when I was a kid, you had a you had a lunch box like every year. That was part of the the rite of passage. You go into the new year of school and you get your new lunch box and maybe it's a Hogan lunch box or maybe it's a you know a, a savage lunch box. A team or like uh Thundercats cartoons. It didn't have to be wrestling, but if you got wrestling, definitely you were the cool kid. Well, yeah, just once again, I'm just looking at this. The Hulk Hogan bank. Yeah. You would put your change in. Yeah. There's the Hulk Hogan pajamas. <laughs> With that as well, I think there is an Ultimate Warrior Super Bank as well, which is quite extremely hard to find. You're talking about £500 to pick one up today. Really? So they're that rare? And people are still out there looking for these things and, and collecting them avidly. Definitely, 100%. It's like everything, isn't it? We, we collect anything wrestling, so from figures to trading cards to random merchandise, it's all there. Well, it's interesting, too, because it seems like Sting had a lot of items as well. He was the main competitor to the WWF, really. Hulk Hogan, he was a WWF guy. Sting, he led the roster for WCW. They tried to go with Sting. The Sting clocks, and we have Sting suitcase here. And there's what's what's an electronic game watch? There's a Sting electronic game watch. What does that mean? Basically, a little wristwatch that you wear. I'm just having a look at the actual book now. That one is still sealed up. So if you remember back in the 90s, you could play little games with a wristwatch, similar to a Game Boy. All right, yeah. So so that's what it is. It's a it's a Sting version of that. It's a game and watch. How about cards, like um, trading cards and, and that sort of thing? Because they're huge right now. Uh, and I remember having, once again, I had a lot of this stuff in the 80s, the, the WWF trading cards uh, and the WWF rock and wrestling. Uh, uh, yeah, Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling. Yeah, they had those. They were cartoon cards. 
but those have become quite the industry too. So were they getting more fancier in the nineties? Cause now it's like you go buy a pack of cards and it can cost you a hundred bucks. Uh, well today it's a different ball game to back then. You could complete sets back in the eighties and nineties. Now it's more of a chase scene, isn't it? So you, you want the one of one Chris Jericho signed or <laughs> right, right, right. So wrestling cards, if you spoke to me about this three, four years back, they were okay. They, there's nothing really to it, but now it's ready to blow up. I, like Hulk Hogan's, I look out for his rookie card. 2017, it was $200. Today, it's $4,000, if not more. Wow. So what, what would his rookie card be considered? 1982, American All-Stars Wrestling. Really? They put out cards from AWA? It's not AWA. It's Wrestling All-Stars, sorry. So it's like uh, Jim Cornette had something to do with it. Literally, I think he took all the photographs. Oh, wow. There's something like 50 in a pack or something, and only 2000 made. But when you compare the four or $5,000 for a Hulk Hogan rookie, look at a Michael Jordan rookie, and you're talking a million dollars. Well, dude, I don't know if you know this one. I mean, this is real. I think the most expensive wrestling card is the Chris Jericho rookie card, which would be Corazon de Leon. Yeah from mexico and i'm looking at it right now at collectors.com they're charging five hundred thousand dollars wow for this card how many exist i don't know but it's a mexican tops mexico and the most frustrating thing kevin is i have one of these cards but i can't find it and i know that i I had it at least up until 2007 because it's in my first book the 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 picture was taken and put in there so having it for 15 years yeah it's around here somewhere i know it and it's like i've looked all throughout storage and everything like that i just i can't find it anywhere there's a guy i talked to on twitter he picked one up for a hundred dollars a guy just selling it didn't know he didn't know what it was (laughs) I mean, he waves it about every day. I'm like, oh, thanks, mate. I really love that card. And it's always one of those things, too. How much is it worth? However much somebody pays for it. Like, it's listed for five hundred grand, but nobody's paid that, right? Not yet. So Not yet, no. one man's five hundred grand is another man's hundred bucks. So I guess I shouldn't get too discouraged. Maybe I'll find it somewhere one of these days. But if anybody has one that they want to get off their chest – Anywhere between a hundred bucks and five hundred thousand dollars, give me a call. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'll mention it to a few card guys. I know Chris. We'll track one down. That's our quest. See if we can figure <laughs> it out. Let's talk about the, the VHS tapes of the pay per views. I remember Coliseum Video was the name of WWE's WWF's probably video or probably home video. WCW had a lot. Are those worth anything at all? Because nobody has VHS anymore. Surprisingly, WCW videotapes hold more value than WWF because simply not many people are buying them compared to WWF. So supply and demand, yeah, people want them still. Well, once again, they're, they're more rare, right? That's it. You've got it. And there's no DVDs of WCW. Really? Really. Warner Brothers, the biggest company in the world, <laughs> who distributed WCW items, but we won't get onto DVDs. Really? <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. Uh, there's also two, like, I look at, uh, at the WCW Super Slam. I always loved when, when they would make board games, items that really don't lend themselves to board games. Like, if you're going to play a board game, give me Monopoly, give me Shoots and Ladders. WCW Super Slam, do you know anything about that? The concept of what that was? Awful game to play. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> but... <laughs> Have you tried it? 
oh, when I was a kid, it was like you opened up Christmas morning and it was like, who the hell's got me this junk, you know? <laughs> You end up looking at the box more than what you do playing the game. <laughs> it was like that with video games when they first came out, like Atari, like the the famous ET video game, which is I think yeah. been voted the worst video game of all time. Where it's just like this little blobby guy kind of wandering around with really shitty graphics. I'm sure uh, Super Slam had the same vibe to it when you're playing a board game. Yeah, awful, absolutely awful. <laughs> Safe to say, you got a lot of magazines here: WWF magazine, WCW magazine. What's the uh, market for those? The early 80s stuff for magazines, WWF original, that's got a lot of interest because it didn't quite go worldwide. There's some interesting pieces for WCW. There is 92 with cards in, which gets some good money. Obviously, the card traders are tracking them down. and The independent magazines are always nice to pick up. There's, there's collectors out there for that, would you believe? How do you mean independent magazines? Like Power Slam was a UK magazine oh yeah 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 so that that sort of thing power slam was a great magazine that was actually one of the last ones that i remember seeing great magazine then obviously it's like inside the ropes today that that is a great magazine that's uh, floating about and that's out now right exactly that's the latest magazine there's a few more as well it's amazing i had you know a collection of magazine covers in in one of my houses before and from that 2000 to 2005 i must have had i don't know 50 magazine covers and now once in a while like you said you'll still see inside the rope so there's a german magazine that i can't remember what it's called but once in a while there'll still be a few covers here and there but they're just harder to keep track of now because they're harder to get like most magazines are just online i know fozzy was just on the cover of a magazine that's online if you want to order it it's like you know get the bundle and it comes with stickers and buttons and an autographed picture and all this other stuff to it because people just don't want to buy magazines anymore no, exactly. And that was the fun part as a kid, wasn't it? If, if you had pocket money, you'd rush out to your local shop, you'd pick up magazines and oh yeah, trading cards, little things like that. You know. Have subscriptions to it. I had a subscription to uh, Wrestling Superstars or Superstars of Wrestling or something like that. It would come every month and be all excited to get it. Oh, yeah. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Let's talk about the uh, those interesting that I didn't think about the catalogs, the merchandise catalogs. Yeah, those would probably be pretty rare to get. And are those are people buying those and collecting those as well? Mm, not as much. Uh, the catalogs that they got sent through through their mail order and WWF used to push them through your door every Easter, every Christmas. Yeah, so that, yeah. You know, I I you're up and get more money off you. So there isn't a great deal of collectors, but it's just that. Okay, nostalgia piece just to keep your eyes focused on wrestling, isn't it? How about the phenomenon of video games? When did that start and which one of those are, are worth more with collectors? You look at the video game market now and Super Nintendo and Nintendo. There's a few hard ones there to pick up for the Game Boy, which would be King of the Ring. That's not so easy to get. And there's, everyone wants like the sealed stuff. If you have a sealed retro video game, then that's really good to have. That seems to be kind of hard to get. Who's going to get a video game and leave it sealed, right? 
not many. I remember the first video game I was in was probably about 98, but they were making them prior. Was there, was there a WWF video game earlier than that? WWF video games, I think it was WrestleMania, which started out with a NES, and that was about 1988. And they went on to Steel Cage, which was about 91. There's, there's a whole lot of video games that floated about. Super WrestleMania, that, that's when it all got interested. Nice game to play. And those are like actually cartridges, right? But then there was also kind of the handheld video games as well, where you would, I remember you used to have like a handheld football one you take with you or whatever it may be. They had that for wrestling as well, right? Yeah, very hard to play some of them. They weren't as enjoyable as like tuning in on your, your Nintendo and plugging in and playing away for hours, hours on end. Well, because it was bigger. You could see it on the TV, whereas the other ones are probably very small. Exactly that, isn't it? Yeah. And wrestling games, wrestling games are hard too. Like that's the thing. So if, if the guy's really small, it seemed like it'd be very difficult to maneuver it. Exactly. It was basically run and punch move. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, like the games today, you're virtually in in with the action, aren't you? So it's back then, it wasn't quite that. It's still amazing though. So let's kind of jump ahead to when the NWO became Massive. prevalent. Was that kind of the second wave of, of, of wrestling merch? I mean, obviously the shirt was huge, but kind of what else were they dealing with then? NWO, WCW, so that was 96 it all kicked off, wasn't it? Yeah. Not only did WCW get going again with that, but Austin, he led the show. They went with Goldberg, WCW, Hulk Hogan, and the Outsiders, but it wasn't quite as popular as what Stone Cold was or The Rock. Like, was it the same type of vibe where they were just putting NWO on everything they could? Yeah, they're trying to and trying to get more action figures out there. But if you went into your local shop and you had an option of WWF or WCW, WCW in the UK, it was left. They're basically stocking fillers. They're just left on the shelves. So they tried the best, but it didn't have the bite of WWF over here in 97, 98. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, it, it was a phenomenon, but WWF on a worldwide basis was always so much bigger than WCW at all times. I mean, I think... I worked for WWE for three years. I don't think we went international once. No. With WWE, I think I was there, you know, in England three weeks after I started with the company. Wow. Yeah, that's true because I think it was 93 they had the UK tour, WCW. It wasn't until about 2000 that they came over again. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it was one time that they had a tour over here and I wasn't I wasn't on it. But yeah, it just, it just wasn't the same. Yeah. It wasn't the same buzz about it. No. How about, you know, in the UK for, for UK base promotions like if you're talking world of sport or wow. even now like rev pro or progress are people you know let's say a world of sport poster are, are people collecting those at all there is some 70s 80s wrestling stuff it's not my field to be honest with you obviously we had some wrestling legends british bulldog he'd, he'd get interest from his early days dynamite kid I suppose uh stephen regal or william regal giant haystacks big daddy it was a different kettle of fish, British wrestling to American wrestling, because it's all about entertainment with American wrestling. Yeah, and once American wrestling came over here, that's kind of what drove the, the British companies out of business. People wanted the pomp and circumstance. Definitely. Although British wrestling, you could watch it, Chris, and appreciate the talent that goes on. And I mentioned there the Dynamite Kid. He needs no introduction. Absolutely way advanced for his time and innovator of so much in the wrestling industry. Oh, absolutely. But the the point, though, is that Dynamite Kid, when he wanted to make some real money and really get, get to a worldwide recognition, came to, to WWF, basically, right? Definitely. 100%. That's where the money was. 
100%. How about wrestling albums? There's been a lot that we just did a, a talk as Jericho with the wrestling album versus Pile Driver. Yeah. And then there's so many followed after themes and then, you know, collaborations and rap versions of the rock songs and rock versions of the rap songs. <laughs> Is there a market for those, especially the old, some of the older ones? People love the old school theme music. One thing that is interesting, the 1992 WrestleMania album, that was produced by Simon Cowell. Really? Really, yeah. He's involved with all that. And this is how popular wrestling was in 92, 93. So they got onto UK terrestrial TV. They're promoting it everywhere. And behind all that was Simon Cowell. And (laughs) (laughs) the rest is history. (laughs) Yeah, because that was a big deal with all of the... Like I said, I remember once again, they like they would get bands to do a version of your theme. And like I said, like a rap version. So they were just pumping out those albums on a, on an annual basis. And they're harder to find now, especially once again, anything that's a physical copy, DVDs, VHS tapes, albums themselves, they're very hard to find because everyone just wants to stream it now. There's some collectible CDs out there, but nothing that's going to change your life, believe me, if you've got it in your collection. DVDs, yeah, there's a few of them that, that fetch some good money, but I suppose everything's got a price. Then there was the uh, phenomenon of the foam finger. Oh. <laughs> Tell me about that. How many of them have you seen time, eh? So many? Well, again, 1980s, you see like Hulk Hogan with his one finger showing, and people would say, I call Hogan, oh, I need that one, that's a rare one, but again, it would be your smoking guns that are rare, that, that no one really wanted. Maybe there's a one, two, three kid one out there. In the book, there's a picture of the Razor Ramon phone finger on the back. Bizarrely, it's the wrestlers that were on top of the show that people are trying to collect. I like this one here that I'd never seen before of uh, Hulk Hogan cupping his ear, but it looks more like he's just holding, like it's like he ripped off Cactus Jack's ear and he's <laughs> holding it in his hand. Yeah, yeah I know which one you mean. <laughs> Again, quite popular to pick up, really, but. It's a nice piece to add to any collection. There was a Jericho one, the break the walls down pose with the arms yeah. out. You yeah, could put that one on. That was a short-lived one. But my all-time favorite one was the, was the Stone Cold Steve Austin foam middle finger. Yeah, brilliant. Attitude era. It just spells attitude, doesn't it? Yeah. I think there is a, a Cactus Jack one out there with a gun as well, which says bang, which is so hard to find. <laughs> yeah, you have all these little kids with... with Phone middle finger is telling you to F <laughs> off. I'm like, you're 10 years old. God. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com. T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N dot com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. What about the evolution of the action figures? We talked about Galoob. We talked about LGN and how they're basically just plastic bendy guys. They start getting more intricate. Definitely. We we can talk about all the different styles and all the different versions of them, but it became more of a real industry, I'd say, probably post-96, 97. Well... Hasbro wrestling figures in the early 90s were huge. Obviously, there's a massive lull between 94 to 96. Late 95, and Jack's come on board and took everything to a whole new level. So there's about 101 
Hasbro wrestling figures. I don't even think anyone could count up how many Jack's wrestling figures there is. There's so many. You'd have like Stone Cold in like a black T-shirt. Next line would be a white T-shirt. <laughs> line after a red T-shirt. Yeah. Same with yourself, the bra. I can't even tell you how many Chris Jericho action figures they are, there are. I would really love to know, once again, if anybody's listening to this and knows that, because they're hard to keep track of. And it's not like what people don't realize is we, they never sent them to us. Like you'd get a random box every few months of like 12 of one. And then, you know, you'd be at an autograph signing and, and people would bring, you know, four other ones that you'd never even seen before. It's like, why wouldn't they tell us about this, you know? Variants and everything, wasn't there? So I think, again, with that, though, it was supply and demand. People wanted wrestling figures going head-to-head with WWF back then with South Park. South Park was massive. They had so much merchandise. Wow. WWF was right up with them. So popular. 98, 99, I think it was the second biggest sport. Well, yeah. And and once again, like like you said, like anytime I wore a new pair of tights, they would make an action figure. Have a new hairstyle, they'd make an action figure. So they were just pumping these things out. But the, the first two that I ever had, the first one ever was was a, a two-pack of, of Jericho and Dean Malenko. Yeah. And the fists had magnets in oh, them. I'm trying to think of the name. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember what the name was, but you put the two fists together and you can like lift each other up by the arms. But here's the funny thing. When my... my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife jessica she bought it and brought it home and we noticed that the receipt for the jericho malenko set said sting and hogan we realized that he hogan got the credit for every action figure sold he got the royalties for it somehow some way he worked that out yes so that would be like the sort code that they've sold it with oh, i'll just put it as hogan again or hogan and something yeah yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the second one I had was, uh, I remember the lady came and pitched it to me. She's like, we're going to do like an action figure, but it's going to have like whatever your character is. We're going to have accoutrements with it, like extra pieces. And you're the lion tamer. So we're going to have a lion that's going to come with you. And, and it was like, oh, that's cool. And then it comes out and, and the lion is like the size of a, of a cat. It looks like a like a house cat, like a kitty cat. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Yeah. That's like the worst line I've ever seen in my what, life. What's, what's the point? <laughs> so, so would you then have like any input on any of your action figures then, Chris, or was it just a case of like, this is what we're doing with you and that's it? Yeah, just like I said, or not even knowing. Like, uh, like you know, there's okay. a lot of Chris Jericho. There's, there's a coloring book, a Jericho coloring book that I never knew anything about until somebody brought it to a signing. There is a Jericho like kids storybook that I didn't know anything about until somebody brought it to a signing. So they still see those from time to time. I know now working with, um, with Jazzwares, you know, we just put out actually a Corazon de Leon action figures coming out very soon. I, I think that that was an idea that I might've had, or I worked with them pretty closely on that. And even on the packaging of it to make sure that they got the right era of photos and that sort of thing. But once again, I've got 32 years behind me now, but when it was first starting, you were just happy to have anything no matter what, you know, even some of those early action figures, like one of them, I, the face, uh, it looks like Skeletor from, Ma- <laughs> from Master of the Universe. Like they took a Skeletor guy, painted it flesh color, and called it Chris Jericho with a bad hair wig on it, you know? Yeah, body and head swaps as well. So you could have like either maybe a Dean Malenko body action figure. Oh, let's put a Jericho head on that as well. 
he looks about the same size. <laughs> well, yeah, they would do that. And, you know, like, and, and, you know, sometimes you see, I don't know, a Chris Jericho in a edge package or something along those lines where they, there's those mix-ups. And are those things rare? Like if there's a cock up at the manufacturer and you get something like that? Error cards generally, especially in Hasbro lines or Galoobs where it's more sought after. I mean, some of them could go for thousands of pounds again. Maybe not so much with Jacks because it was just mass, mass produce, uh, production. And I don't think many people collect Jacks on that scale because there's so much of it out there. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, there's all, all the different companies and that sort of a thing. And there was also too, like, I remember like there was companies would just license out, you know, WCW. And I remember there was a, a Jericho stock car, like an actual metal car. So I mean, even those types of toys, like anything they could kind of put a, a logo on, they would. Exactly. I've picked up a, a Goldberg, one of those recently, which is, made it's like 18 karat gold or 24 karat gold and i picked it up really cheap so how has that come about <laughs> bizarrely it's just just the way it is isn't it how big is your is your personal collection do you have a lot of stuff in your collection kevin i do i have a lot of hasbro wrestling figures i've collected every single one of those i've got those loose mint on card got a hell of a lot signed error cards prototypes i love hasbro wrestling figures that is my main go-to one. On top of that, I'm slowly picking up more WCW Gloobs than Jacks. I would just go with special one-off figures, really ones I like because there's so many. And if I can manage to get WCW figures, I'll, I'll do that as well. Then even today, there's so much out there. What's the centerpiece of your collection? Either the rarest thing or the most expensive thing or whatever? My centerpiece would be my Undertaker Hasbro prototype wrestling figure. Oh, wow. So what does that mean? It, it's handmade. It's made for the factory at Hasbro in 1991-92. And I've had it graded up, all slabbed up and nice. I think there's about two or three kicking about, if you're lucky. Yeah. It's the Undertaker. <laughs> I've got another one of Bret Hart as well, which is very sitting nicely. How do you know it's the actual prototype? Firstly, with that, you need to believe the story. There's no mug trying to have you off over on eBay. You've got to believe that the guy's legit. Then you speak to other collectors and they'll give you the nod to say, yeah, that, that's quite a good figure. You know, you're on the right lines here. Then obviously when you get it in hand, you see the quality. You could tell a mile off between a prototype and a standard figure. Quality. How much would that prototype be worth of The Undertaker? I, I don't think, you know. Probably... About 10,000, something like that, something silly. That's amazing. So what is your job that you, that you have that you, you can pay off for all these things? Well, I was in construction, and you know how much I paid for it? How much? 500, 500 pounds. Wow. This was like 15 years ago where it was, wasn't so collectible. Just goes to show, show the trajectory. Well, and, and like you said, I mean, there is such a, a market for this now. And I've heard about those prototypes as rare as they are. Once again, it's a prototype, meaning there's only like one or two of them or whatever it may be. Yeah. Still looking through some of the other stuff in here. I like the uh, Sting and Goldberg walkie-talkies. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. A walkie-talkie needs to fit on your ear. This is an action figure that you apparently are speaking into. With, with that, if, if you take a closer look at uh, Goldberg there, he looks absolutely 
Oh, <laughs> look at the teeth, shiny teeth on Goldberg. <laughs> and it doesn't even look like Sting. So how they've managed to put that onto the shelf, it's beyond me. Well, and the quality has gotten a lot better. Obviously, we're talking about wrestling merge of the 90s, so it wasn't as advanced. But now, like I mentioned, going from, from the Skeletor Jericho to now you, you, know, you sit in front of a scanner and they scan all the way around your face and head. So they get all the kind of contours of, of what your f- facial features are and that sort of thing. It's really, really uh, high, high tech how they do it now. Yeah, oh, it's, it's amazing. Years back, it was hand-drawn. You'd have designers, sculptors, and they'd go about it that way. But now it's all computer-generated and scanners and everything else. So, so when you got to the late 90s, uh, once again, you mentioned earlier The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's interesting to me that two of the possible top three or five biggest stars in wrestling history were around at the exact same time. Are you aware of anything of who was outselling who uh, between The Rock and Steve? I put money on it. That Stone Cold is way up there. Really? Yeah. The Rock was everything. You know, he's a movie star and he's had that long longevity. But Stone Cold Steve Austin, back in 90, every kid in the UK is wearing a Stone Cold t-shirt. Yeah. He was the man to go to. Really was. Once again, people forget just how huge he was. The pops that he used to get just being in the ring with him were just monstrous. But Rock had it too. But there was, like I said, there was something special about Steve. And his career was so much shorter. I mean, he really only had that two, three year. Yeah, it's a short stay, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Which would you prefer, Chris, The Rock or Austin? Or is it a hard one to pick? I, I always had better chemistry with, with The Rock. It's just we had very similar styles. Yeah. And Steve was a little bit more of a brawler, which I wasn't at the time. But I still love, I had some great matches with Steve too, but but The Rock is, I'd put him as one of my all-time favorite opponents, I'd have to say. Two incredible talents. I mean, you could watch wrestling today, there's so much talent out there, but but The Rock and Austin, I mean, Austin's ability to wrestle, phenomenal. The Rock's ability to wrestle, phenomenal. Put them on merchandise, how they got over with the crowd, gold. Well, it's interesting that when, when I first came into the company, there was a lot of merchandise that had three faces on it. It was The Rock, it was Steve Austin and Chris Jericho. I have a, I have a bath towel with that. There was posters of that. But I was I always say that I was the George Harrison of the Attitude yeah. Era <laughs> in that it didn't matter how popular I got or how big I got. I was still behind Rock and Austin. George was still behind Paul and John, no matter how huge he was. So until I turned heel, I never really got to that level. But there was a lot of that merch at the time that had the three of our faces on it. But I'll be honest with you there, Chris. It's like we'd be the ones to tune in to watch like your wrestling matches, especially WCW days. It'd be like looking back some of the show. It wasn't what everyone says, but to watch your matches, the Lucha Libre style, everything else about it, that was pure. Yeah, it gave you some variety for what was going on. But, but you know, and once again, at WCW, there was really no merch at all. Yeah. I had to ask Bischoff to get a Jericho shirt. He goes, you don't make any money off it. Anyways, I said, I know, but perception is reality. When they go to the venue and they see, you know, Hulk Hogan and they see DDP and they see NWO, you know, if they see a Chris Jericho shirt, at least it, it, it makes it seem like I'm up at that level. 
So I actually designed it. I did the TV commercial on my own. We recorded it ourselves. And he goes, yeah, if you want a shirt, you figure it out. So that was how I got my first shirt wow. uh, besides the bootleg ones in Mexico, which I found on the street, which was great. But the first official shirt, I basically had to create myself. Wow. Interesting. Uh, and you know what's surprising there? You mentioned about bootleg. People would think, oh, that's worth nothing. A lot of people would be chasing that bootleg Chris Jericho t-shirt from the early 90s, that's for sure. Oh my gosh, I probably still have that somewhere too. I have a great picture of it. But yeah, I actually found it on the street where a bootlegger made it. I asked him if I could have one and he said, no, you got to buy one. I said, well, that's my shirt. That's me. Yeah, for a dollar. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. But that's another thing too, though, that early attitude era, some of the shirts that they made that were like being made exclusively like at Walmart and that sort of thing. You go to a New York, you know, kind of a fashion store and they sell those things for 200 bucks, 250 bucks. I I get it all the time. Someone, I think Britt Baker just sent me a picture. She was in New York city shopping around at kind of a rock and roll store. And there was a Chris Jericho there from, you know, whatever year. 2000, 2002, that was huge, huge money. Frightening, isn't it? I know like the DX t-shirts from that time, they've, they've increased in value. You remember the old like uh, hockey jersey, if you like? Yeah. DX on the back. You couldn't put that stuff on a t-shirt today. No, you but sure collectors could. want it. <laughs> My friend actually, Simon, he, he is a t-shirt guy. He's got like pretty much every t-shirt going. I'll give him a shout out because he's, gotcha. he's got got some awesome awesome t-shirts Chris. As, as we start to wind down here as you get towards the end of the 90s another company that started kind of getting some small deals was ecw and ecw kind of like almost made it over the cliff of becoming something but it didn't but they were still putting out merch i'm looking here at a devon dudley bubble ray dudley ecw doll did they ever make any type of of, of dent in the market or was that just kind of a obligatory thing well that was the only merchandise ecw did as in action figures, they did videotapes and T-shirts. Compare that to WCW, WWF, because it was aimed at the adult audience. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, you're putting out as much merch as your audience can handle, and the, the audience really wasn't that big, you know? Yeah. So the T-shirts, though, the wrestlers themselves had to pack them up and send them out to the customers. <laughs> oh, really? They were all in charge of their own? Not so much that, but because it was a small company. If you want to earn some of this t-shirt money, you've got to help out. I'm still kind of looking at some of the last pictures here. The battling bot bag. That's right from the 70s. I think I had a kiss bot bag when I was a kid. And that's where you blow up the character and it's the same height as you are. And you just punch it and it bounces back and forth. Exactly. Don't don't try this at home. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Wrestle with it. Okay. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, you know, like I said, it's just interesting. All the different types of things they had because even at my house i have a chris jericho lighter that you probably could find for them they're doing bic lighters with with the guys on them yeah i have a doritos chip bag the ice cream bars once again they're they were just pumping out anything and everything at that time frame some of it you think what is going on here <laughs> who's thinking of this stuff <laughs> oh yeah well there's collectors for it I suppose. and I'm, I'm a numbers guy so i would look through and see whenever we got our royalty statements. And it, it would be 20, 30 pages high. And you would look through and it would have everything itemized. Every DVD, every VHS, every doll, every ice cream bar, every bowling ball. And that's where you found some of these really interesting things. It was like, I had no, I still am wondering who has a pair of Chris Jericho eyeglasses. Somebody must have them. And I know the bowling ball, 
I tried to find the bowling ball for years. And finally, somebody came to a Fozzie gig and gave it to me. And I'm glad I finally got one because it's pretty cool to have it. But still, who's buying a Chris Jericho bowling ball? And, and on top of that, what other bowling balls are out there? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. That's bizarre. So I imagine Godfather's got one or something similar that era. Well, yeah, right. How about autographed pictures and those sorts of things? Do they still draw decent money? Because every time you know we, we end up at a at a airport or something, there's still but they always bring the, the obviously it's not from the '90s, but it's the the Funko Pops and the action figures now that AW has them. But they still bring the eight by tens and they want me to sign it. And I'm like, you want me to sign ten of these or ten cards or whatever? I know what you're going to do with it. How much can you sell an autographed eight by ten? How much can you sell an autographed trading card for in this day and age? It all depends on the wrestler, Chris. No, no disrespect to yourself, but it's going to get a standard value, forty, fifty dollars, something like that. But the interesting fact there, if you go and find an Andre the Giant signed eight by ten, the whole new ball game. You're talking two thousand, three thousand dollars, if not more, because the rarity of actually having an Andre the Giant autograph it's on the right piece. You say that about the Ultimate Warrior now, the wrestlers that are sadly no longer with us. Well, I mean, all that makes sense. Yeah, obviously, you know, it's like I bought a, a Paul McCartney Hofner base autographed. And it cost me about 15 grand. But, you know, sooner or later, when Paul's not around anymore, that's an autographed Paul McCartney Hofner. I mean, that's insane what that's going to be worth someday. Exactly. I, it. It's about having the right item signed. I don't understand why people will just have certain cards to flip out and sell. It's a bit naughty, really. But <laughs> some collectors like, well, some people do that. It's just a bit naughty. A bit naughty. Uh, last couple of questions for you. Who do you think the biggest merchandise seller of the modern era is? Well, interesting question. Roman Reigns would be up there uh, looking at, AEW, MJF will probably go up in years to come. No, no, I, I'm talking about the era that we're talking about. Would it be Austin? Would it be Hogan? I mean, I see. I mean, Cena's not really for the '90s, but but is is Cena one of the guys now? Cena's the one for the future. He, he's been in the WWE over 20 years now, but for me, it's got to be Hulk Hogan. Yeah, think of his time. You know, he was on everything. Hulk Hogan. Well, yeah, because because Hogan also struck right when wrestling blew up, he was one of the reasons for it. I mean, Hogan and Vince. So if they had merch in 85, Hogan was on it. If they had merch in 88, Hogan was on it, et cetera, et cetera. Like we said, all the way up into the NWO days, which was still based around Hogan as well. Damn right. Hulk Hogan was the one. Personally, some may argue with this. I would go with Stone Cold in second, The Rock in third. Bret Hart's up there as well. Yeah, I think Austin 316, that T-shirt, is probably the highest wrestling T-shirt of all time. Although the NWO one, a lot of people wore those as well. But I think Austin 316 might be the bigger one. Yeah, 100%. That has to be the biggest T-shirt and becoming hard to find these days. Yeah, or are they? Yeah. Well, you think it's 25 years ago. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Good point. Yeah. And last question for you. What's your favorite piece that you have in your collection? Besides the Undertaker prototype, that's, that's oh. the most expensive. What's your favorite? Favorite piece is a pair of British Bulldog-like shoes. They were made by Dunlop in the UK. They were made for the WWF and actually footwear sneakers, yeah. British Bulldog sneakers. Yeah. That's something I don't have. Not many of them are about. How about yourself, Chris? Have you got anything nice in your wrestling collection? Well, I mean, I love love the Chris Jericho bowling ball. That's my favorite. But what I have now, when we talked about kind of the anomalies – 
is there uh, what do they call it? A chase figure? There's a Jericho chase figure. There's a T-shirt in AEW where it's it's very much like a tropical looking shirt, and I'm, I'm wearing sunglasses and kind of holding them down like that. The doll is wearing that shirt, yeah. but the shirt is upside down. The image is upside down. I see. It's a collector's item, I'm sure, and an anomaly because you know chases are hard to find as it is because that's the idea behind it. One of one thousand or whatever it is, but this one out of those thousand is probably the only one where the t-shirt is upside down. Wow. So that is definitely a nice piece to own, especially of Chris Jericho. How about any other wrestlers? Do you, do you pick up any of their stuff or anything? No, I, I'm not a collector. I you know what I mean? I, I collect other stuff. Like I said, more music stuff, and I'm really not a collector of anything other than that Paul McCartney guitar. And, you know, if I see a cool, like I just saw a Cliff Burton action figure they put out, the bass player Metallica who passed away. I bought that, you know. Yeah. Little things like that I'll buy, but as far as actual, you know, I have my Chris Jericho foam finger, yeah. which is probably pretty rare, and I've got the Chris Jericho Dorito bag, but I can't find the freaking Corazon de Leon card, so that's the one. <laughs> oh. I have to go back into storage, look for it again. i got to see if I can find it. That that one, yeah. Damn right. It's coming home. <laughs> We're helping you out. It's coming home, definitely. Well, Kevin, it's been great talking to you, man, and congratulations on the book. Thank you. It's fun to kind of see all of these things, because I, I did have the Galoob figures, and I bought a wrestling ring as well from that era. So that, that was the time frame in about 86, I remember buying that. So, or I guess it would have been LJN back at that point in time. So. LJN, yeah. Yeah, that's it. 86, wow, wrestling. So big, man. Kind of cool to go back to that. So, Well, cool, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Thanks for the support. 